I'm Arya Schwartz along with Rachel Galligan and welcome to the Windsider Show where it's all about the W. The season is here. Opening weekend was wild and we're here to recap and break down our reactions to the epic games. If you like our show, please consider joining our Patreon community, patreon.com backslash Winsider. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W. And don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content on winsider.com. That's winsider.com. And remember, downloading the episode makes our stats look better and allows us to continue doing this important work. Rachel, how you doing? How do you feel that the WNBA season is finally here and we can actually talk about real games? <laughs> I'm excited. I mean, from from when we're recording this, we got a whole other like week of games ahead, um, and I'm excited to kind of really dive in on Tuesday and and watch six more teams. But I mean, you know, it's it's I'm thrilled it's here. Um, like anything, I think you take the first few games with a grain of salt, and obviously it's exciting. But in terms of in depth analysis, you know, it's still a lot to be determined. Uh, but definitely a really exciting weekend with a couple. Um, buzzer beaters and and just some really cool um, things that kind of went down and just yeah just thrilled to be back oh yeah I mean it's it's amazing to be back it's it's amazing I mean I got to go to my first <laughs> my first game uh, and who knows how long it's been uh, to be there live watching a game but I agree with you you know we have to take everything with a grain of salt a lot of these teams heck we saw in in the Lynx game Kayla McBride touched down on Wednesday hadn't practiced with the team and plays Friday right. like Right. Wow. Yeah. That that is just uh, and, and she had a great game, too. Um, and we've seen that throughout. I mean, John Quill Jones appeared late uh, for training camp, was able to turn out and and really have uh, a good start to her season. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we obviously need to take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, teams are still meshing together. But I do think that the first couple of games for a few teams was very important in setting a tone for the season. Uh, and it's, it's appropriate that it was the first game of the season. Game one, the New York Liberty beat the Fever 90 to 87 with Sabrina Inescu hitting the game winning shot. Uh, I know all of our fans have seen that. It was a pretty interesting game. I mean, we started to really see what this new look New York Liberty were going to be a lot faster pace, a lot of high octane offense, shooting the ball at will. Um, it was pretty spotty, though, right? It was kind of like a roller coaster where they'd go on this crazy run and then just disappear for a while. Um, as opposed to the Fever, uh, who a team that I think many have pegged to be in the bottom bottom tier, bottom spot of the league this whole season, really stayed with them. They kind of it was in my mind, it was a little bit of a tortoise and a hare game <laughs> where one team really like runs ahead, then disappears, runs ahead, disappears. And the Fever were just kind of the tortoise, just evenly chugging along, you know, staying, staying with their game. Did you have any uh, any thoughts of this game? I mean, just the the ending. It was it was. I was literally like, watch Sabrina hit a game winner right here, right? And literally, that's what happened. And it was so funny. Like, it, it's just. I, I don't want to like go off on Sabrina so much, but it was just so perfect, you know, for for her coming back and after missing last year and just coming back, making that amount of noise in this first game was just. It was like poetic. I loved everything about it. 
Oh yeah, I'm, and we're not going to get into it, but I'm curious actually if have, you've seen the play. Obviously, have you analyzed the play? Because while I give respect for the play call, I almost feel like the defense didn't have the clock in mind fully. Um, like at one point, I'm I'm blanking on. I don't have the play in front of me, but there is a player on the perimeter. Uh, who should have stepped up into Sabrina's face to kind of contest that shot a little bit more. But she was worried of that pass down low. And for me, it was one of those situations where I get it. You you're fearful of her passing ability, but you also want as the clock's ticking down to get a hand in the face and just disrupt whatever she's planning on doing. So for me, while it was a great shot for her, I definitely in in a good play call, I definitely look at that and I go, I put a lot of that on the defense stepping up. Uh, you went under the pit of the, I think it was a double pick. You went under the double pick and you didn't step up into her face for an obvious shot. I mean, that to me, that was, that was kind of the story of that one. Any, any thoughts on the final play? No, I mean, you know, could have, should have, would have, I mean, at that point yeah. you're, playing, <laughs> you're playing numbers and you're playing percentages. And it's like, I feel like everyone in the world knew who was going to take that shot, but did we really, you know, so um, I, I definitely understand you. You you want to be able to contest shots, but at this at this phase of the game, like, you know, protecting the basket and, and eliminating, you know, a high percentage shot versus playing percentages for a three point shot. You know, it, it she hit a big shot. I, I don't know that it necessarily was a defensive breakdown other than just a great player making a huge play. Love it. Let's move on to game two. The sun trounced the dream. 78-67. Uh, the Sun looked real. Like, they look all right, good. We, they look good. Like, we know that the Atlanta Dream, look, they lose their head coach a week before the season starts. Uh, there's been some commote. Like, th- this is a team that even with their head coach, Nikki, or former head coach, Nikki Collin, there was some question of how they were going to find claw their way out of that lower tier of the league. And we all knew it was going to take time and it was going to be very defensive based, right? I mean, yes, this team struggled offensively. You're going up against the Connecticut Sun, a team that is, you know, their backbone, their calling card is going to be their defense. It has been for the past few years. But to see John Quill Jones come into that game and play at an MVP caliber level along with Dewana Bonner, for me, it just felt good to see JJ back on the court doing her thing you know, lanky arms, whiling all over the place, hair flopping all over the place. And not only that, but keep in mind, Jasmine Thomas wasn't with the team yet at this point. I mean, granted, again, they're Connecticut's not. I think most people have considered them a playoff team. So is this a shocker? No. Um, But props to Natisha Heideman for really playing well as long. uh, And uh, uh, same with uh, Brianna Jones. Yeah, I mean, this team is all about players stepping up um, when when they need to, and and especially the second game. Um, I'm sure we'll get to that here in a little bit, but Heidemann coming out of the block and just kind of being that force offensively, making plays defensively. I mean, that's what you need. That's that's what this Connecticut team is going to need to be successful. Is the players like Heidemann, uh, Bree Jones, elevating their game to that next level to help kind of fill the gap of Alyssa Thomas being out, but. Yeah, I mean, JJ back on the court was so nice. I mean, yeah, she's we've always, we've been saying it for a while. You know, she's got MVP caliber potential. Um, and obviously, Dewana Bonner. I mean, this is still a team, you know, and, and I say this is like Kurt Miller's always like so tough <laughs> on himself <laughs> and, and the fact that this roster, they can't play with the numbers that they would like to. But man, this this team is right up there. And I think if we've learned anything 
through this disrespect era, which I'm going to be honest, I'm tired of it because at this point, if you're disrespecting Connecticut, you obviously haven't been paying attention. So um, I, I definitely was really impressed with the way they, they started. Well, and that's the thing. Like, if anything, this season, I would accept the disrespect. Well, I agree with you. I'm sick of it. This season, I would accept it because... Yes, Alyssa Thomas, who a perennial defensive player of the year, someone who has forced her way into the MVP conversation, forced her way into a top 10 player in the league conversation every year she's been around. But you lose her and you bring on a John Cole Jones, who, like we spoke about, is an MVP caliber player. And people are really counting this team out. Um, I think, you know, at this point, they're right to say it's disrespectful that this team has continued to drop in the power rankings throughout, excuse me, throughout this offseason when they add an MVP caliber player. And I think part of that maybe is, you know, people being hard on them, comparing it to, you know, the the the, the Sun team that went to the finals against the Mystics. Um, and that's honestly a, a dark hole that you don't want to always get trapped in of comparing it to past successful versions of the team. And it's something that I, you know, should be criticized for what I do with the uh, the DC Mystics. So, uh, you know, I give it and I take it. Let's talk about game three. The Phoenix Mercury inch past the Minnesota Lynx 77-75 in a nail biter where the clock stops with 6.8 seconds left. But... <laughs> It was very symbolic only because of how hilarious it was that, like, you give four seconds to Diana Taurasi. That's more than enough time. You give her 6.8 seconds after a bad offensive set from Minnesota when they had the lead. Um, and Diana Taurasi ends up hitting a three to seal the game, although there was, like, a 15-minute pause to figure out what to do about that. I'm actually curious for you, Rachel. Um, I pose this question. Everyone has ignored me. What do you think is the proper handling? Because from my understanding, if the ref notices the clock is stopped, the play is supposed to stop. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and I get it after like the play is continued and finished. There's not really much you can do other than the stopwatch thing. Um, but that does, you know, lead to questions of should the league. I know in like other professional sports league, they basically have a ref like in the NFL. They'll have a like the head referee watching the game. And he'll give his call on what should happen. It didn't seem like there was that knowledge or continuity of what's supposed to happen. What do you think in that situation? Do you think they handled it right? Do you think it's just a crap situation that you can't do anything better? Like, what was your I thoughts mean, on think, that? I think thing? if I'm with the Phoenix Mercury, they handled it right. If I'm with the Minnesota Lynx, they they handled it wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you said it exactly. You know the stoppage of there, there was there was no stoppage of play. The clock, you know, simply the the, the possession changed over and, and the play continued. So you know, in terms of stopping play at that point, that would have been really frustrating for Phoenix because you know there was no stoppage of play. So the fact that the clock did what it did or the operator did what they did in terms of not starting it or why it even stopped in the first place is beyond me it never should. supposedly like the the ref like by accident took a breath and a tiny amount of and with the whistle in his mouth or her mouth and it and it caused like a small whistle blow which caused the person to hit yeah to, to hit the button you know if, if it were a normal scenario right like like let's let's act like the clock didn't stop that play would have happened exactly the way it did now you got to ask the question did 
uh, were there Lynx players who stopped and were kind of looking around and wondering, like, did they stop playing? That That's one thing, honestly, I haven't gone back and looked at. Um, but in a normal scenario, the, the, the there was a turnover, the possession would have changed, Dinah Tarazi hits that shot, and now there's this, and now there would have been a little bit of time remaining. So in my opinion, I think they handled it right. It's still really bizarre um, and really dicey. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Minnesota didn't take care of take care of the possession. They didn't do what they needed to do on that last possession. Tarazi hits a big shot. That's how it would have played out if the clock would have just remained normal. Um, I do think it was interesting, you know, they had to time it with a stopwatch to kind of determine how much time was remaining. And and I, again, that's, that's strange. If I'm, if again, if I'm Cheryl Reeve, you know, there's a lot to be frustrated with. Um, that's just one of those bizarre, quirky situations. And of course it happens on opening weekend. And, and, and what, what really killed it even more was, you know, the, the seven or eight minutes that we all had to sit there and just like stare at like, what the hell's going on? Um, well, that's the part yeah. that frustrates me the most on it. And, and I want to give props to Cheryl Reeve because I think it would have been very easy for a coach to go on her, the post game presser and say, you know, blame the refs, blame this, blame that. She didn't do that. She said, look, we had an opportunity to seal the game. We didn't do it. Yeah. And whatever happened with fine, whatever. My thing is more so this. Should there have been like a minimum amount of time put back on the clock? And the only reason I say that, obviously, it causes issues with you're basically extending the game by a couple seconds. If you believe that the stop clock thing was the accurate timing, it honestly probably gave them a little bit extra time. But my real issue in question here is, when you have a play review like that, and then it's like, okay, now you have one second, go out there and play. The player is just cooled off. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the problem for me more so. And I don't think that there's like a real solution, but that was the confusion and the problem for me of like, okay, I get that we have this situation, but because it took, like you were saying five, I, I think it was a little bit longer, maybe 10 minutes even of, of that stoppage. You're you're digging a hole to that other team to respond, For sure. right? You know, I, I don't, and I don't think there's an answer. So. I don't think you add any more time than what they did. I mean, it just it is what it is. These are the adversities that sometimes happen, and um, you know, I think as a fan, it definitely kind of took away from that game winner of Tarazi because we all were like, "What is happening here? This is like a circus." Was it a buzzer beater? Was it not? Right. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so I mean, you know, again, I think you chalk it up to what what Coach Reef said, and and. You know, these things happen from time to time. And, and, you know, you had a second or whatever it was to make a play, and obviously they couldn't. And, all right, let's move on to the next. Let's move on to the next. Game four of opening weekend was Las Vegas. Ooh. Sorry, Los Angeles Sparks taking on the Dallas Wings. Ooh. A dominating win for the Wings, 94-71. Just no cohesion from the Sparks on their end. The first quarter, they looked good, but it went downhill from there. Keep in mind, Awak and Satu aren't even there. And while Charlie Collier definitely had some welcome to the W moments, she also had some, uh, let me announce that I am here moments, chalking up a double-double in her first game. What was your reaction to this? Because, you know, this game probably didn't get billed as it should have, which was keep in mind the off-season moves that these teams interacted with each other. Um, and now we're in a situation where the L.A. Sparks have kind of put their chips, you know, put the chips down on purple. They have they have valued this team and said this team has value. We can succeed um, and has really been, you know, I don't want to say a target on the back of Derek Fisher, but like this is he has cemented himself on like 
This is my first GM season. This is the team we're going to make and and we're going to be successful. I'm I believe and someone can correct me if I'm wrong. There was some quotes uh, before the game from Derek Fisher basically saying we're going to show the league, you know, they've underestimated us and then they fell on their face. Uh, I just found that a little bit humorous. But what was your thoughts on this game? You know, I'm not pushing any panic button. I mean, again, as I said, when we started this, like there, there's no reason you, you take things with a grain of salt. I think, you know, mm-hmm. next weekend, if, if we're jumping on here, we're having this conversation again, you know, we're going to we're going to have a little bit more information to analyze. I think with L.A., what I saw in that game was a team that they needed to get back in that locker room and get back to the drawing board. I mean, they they it felt like this this Dallas Wings team came out as the aggressor. And they wanted to play a certain type of way, the way that L.A. says they want to play, but L.A. didn't play the way they want to play. And I think defensively was the biggest letdown for me. Um, they just they just they they didn't even seem like they were engaged. Um, you know, Dallas was was almost having their way with them. It felt like, you know, offensively in L.A. just it felt like they couldn't come up with a stop. So that's why I say, you know, the wings had their foot on the gas. And I think L.A. was was very reactive, you know, on the wings you know, or had like 20 turnovers in the first half, which is insane, you know, and they were still up at half and, and, you know, it wasn't the prettiest game played by Dallas, but you know, they, 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 their aggression and the pace that they were playing with and Enrique was phenomenal. Um, you know, just, it almost felt like they had LA on their heels. They were just playing on their heels the entire night. Um, and I just, I just don't think LA seemed prepared. They didn't seem like they were ready to go. Um, to me, if, if I'm a player, if I'm the Sparks, I take that as a slap in the face of like, okay, like this is a gauge of kind of where we're at. The lights are on. This is not a preseason game anymore. Like, okay, we got punched in the face. Now, how do we get back and respond? From mm-hmm. this? And I think that that is what I am probably out of any response from any team this week. I am most curious about is to see how LA responds from getting hit in the face from the wings. I completely agree with that. I'm, hey. I, I have nothing else to say. We we agree. No, no, I completely agree. Like that was a one of those moments where you go, okay, like you said, I mean, I'm just going to repeat you. Like yeah. you said, that was one of those situations of like we got slapped in the face. Mm-hmm. It's not a preseason game anymore. We almost at times had that feel of preseason, but now they need to come out firing on all cylinders in the next game to send that message to the league. Otherwise, I mean, they didn't look like a playoff team, point blank. And, uh, you know, we've talked about, in my opinion, they're on the bubble of the playoffs. Uh, You know, uh, I'll shamelessly plug. I did the series. You joined me for a few of those. We did the series talking to local beat reporters uh, for each team and talking to Miriam Swanson about this team. Like the the floor would be not making the playoffs and even like a lower seed in the not make the playoffs in that that lottery area. But historically, that would just be a shock to the system for any WNBA fan who's been paying attention for a while. Um, Let's move on to the Saturday games. The second day of the weekend of opening weekend of the WNBA game five of the WNBA season was the Chicago Sky handling the Mystics 70 to 56 in D.C. Obviously, it was amazing to see Candace Parker out there looking happy uh, dancing and goofing around with James Wade, Diamond Shields, Kalia Copper, just overall. I mean, and and I should say the the Vanderquigs also had a good game. Um, you know, I have some thoughts on this game. 
I was really, really impressed by the game plan that they went into this. Now, I don't think anybody has the Mystics super high on their board right now, right? With with Maisha Hines-Allen still not joining the team, Elena Deladon out uh, for multiple games, um, and it's going to take some time. Not only is this a very different team than we've seen in the past, they lost Alicia Clark, as we know, who is kind of going to fill that uh, that role of you know a variety of players that they've seen leave over the past few years. But the thing that really stuck out to me was the game plan of Chicago to put Diamond to Shields on Natasha Cloud and viewing that as a key matchup. Um, I've been saying this for years. As Natasha Cloud's stardom has grown in the league, more and more people are starting to finally pick up on something that I pat myself on the back for noticing a while ago, that she orchestrates this offense. She dictates how this team moves and what opposing teams have tried to do, and sometimes very unsuccessfully, and in this case successfully, is stifle Natasha Cloud, and it has trickle-down effects to the rest of their offense, and I saw it work. And now I'm going to make a ridiculous claim here. Um, so excuse me for this, Rachel, but early favorite, in my opinion, or early sleeper for Defensive Player of the Year, I'm going with Diamond to Shields. Okay. If she's healthy with her athleticism, with her ability to you know, just be in your face at all times. I mean, she was playing full court press on Natasha Cloud for most of that game. Um, she could be a shutdown defender. I'm excited what we're going to see from her this whole season. I just went on a rant, but talk to me what you thought about that game. No, I, I, I you heard it here first. So let's mark it down that you called it. I mean, there's no doubt Diamond Shields has the tools um, to be one of the best defenders in the league. There's no question about that. Um, it's a matter of the decision of, of, you know, really going after that. And, um, I have a feeling that that is something that is definitely attainable. I mean, I don't, I don't understand, you know, I don't see why it wouldn't be at least James Wade really challenging her from that standpoint, but in, in full transparency, I didn't get to, I didn't get a chance to watch all this game because I was running an event in Denver. So the Saturday game, Saturday games were a little tough for me. I had them on, I was listening, but, um, my tournament kind of took priority, but I think we were, we were texting before the game and you're like, what, who's your pick? I picked Chicago and I'm not surprised that things played out the way it did. From what I saw, Candace Parker looks <laughs> almost like it was crazy how comfortable she looked, you know, in a sky Jersey and, oh, yeah. um, you know, how natural that felt. And I remember thinking that as I was kind of watching her play a little bit, but you know, you kind of hit it on the head with the mystics. It's, I feel like we talk about this every year. It's usually like a bit of a slow start. They don't have their complete roster, but I will say Tina Charles looked good. She looked really good. Um, really nice to see her back out on the court. She looks like she's in phenomenal shape. Um, so, I mean, this was the outcome I pretty much expected to happen. Um, no reason to panic on Washington. I think that there's still a lot to be determined with um, the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, my last thought about Washington is just kind of, you know, it's amazing. They have Tina Charles. I agree with you. She looked great. She looks in great shape. Haven't seen her play in what, like, oh, I guess it's only been like a year and a half. Um, but my thought about Washington is don't let them get into too big of a hole before Maisha and Elena Deldon are able to get back sure. and give part to this team. That's got to be the key, the mindset for this team. Maybe they worded a little bit differently, but I think that has to be the key. Let's move on to game six. Excuse me, the Las Vegas Aces lose to the Seattle Storm in stride. The Storm have not lost a step. Now, a lot of people, including myself, have questioned how this team is going to look. I've reviewed the tape. They have done a great job of plug and play, right? Just bringing players in to yeah. fill different roles for this team. Typically, in my mind, it's going to be a question of, okay, consistency from these plug players. What are we going to see? Uh, it, it honestly, 
I'm stealing a quote from somebody because that it just encapsulated the game so perfectly. It looked like the new players from last year on Seattle were plugged into a system perfectly. On the flip side with Las Vegas, it looked like there was no cohesion, no continuity between these players. Um, and I don't mean that in like a generalized overstatement. It just did not look like they had enough time to fully gel with each other. So to your point, when you were talking about the L.A. Sparks and like a lot of people may be going, oh, my God, the Aces were deemed to be a top pit or a top team in the league. OK, they lost Angel McCautry for the season. That's a big blow. Right. Um, the real question for me is how they not like it's not as big of a response as what we were talking about for L.A. Right. Like this team is going to get there with L.A. There's still more question marks. What was your thoughts on this one? This was the one game I didn't get to watch a ton of. Um, I felt like I got to watch more of Chicago, you know, and of course this one was the one in my mind. I was like, oh yeah, like Storm and Aces. This is, uh, this is the one that, that everybody wants to see. So I don't have a ton to say outside of kind of what you already said, the plug and play. I, I really, it, it, I, I, maybe I'm guilty of thinking that Seattle um, would take a major hit this year with some of the, the changes of their roster. But then when you really step back, and we said this on a previous podcast, you step back and you look at the firepower on that roster and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm being ridiculous. This team is clearly up there with contention. And they showed it in that game. Um, I, I am very excited to actually get my eyes on them this week. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, support for the Windsider Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your personal space. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard it right. That's 4.0. Join over 2 million men and women worldwide who have trusted Manscaped. With this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code WINSIDER20 at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by its performance. The craftsmanship and the detail in the 4.0 are next level. Manscaped engineered the ultimate body trimmer by focusing on intelligent, functional, and incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade that reduces grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology i now feel comfortable shaving the lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths of sizes one through four did i mention wireless charging the new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic introduction which helps battery length last longer get your 20 percent off free shipping with this code winsider20 at manscape com And trust me, you won't regret this. All right, let's talk about Sunday's games, game seven and game eight, a repeat of game one of the WNBA season. The New York Liberty this time handle the fever much better. 73-65 with some key foul outs in this one. But honestly, something that I'm getting away from this, like, you know, I saw some power rankings and people were hyping up this team and that team and saying how, you know, how great it was. Uh, the Liberty are jumping in the power rankings. Let, let's slow your roll. I tweeted this out earlier. Let's slow your roll about this. We all expected the Liberty to be fighting for a playoff spot. We all expected the Fever to be bottom of the league. So when you look at this, honestly, my takeaway was just how Tierra McCowan is finally getting the minutes to really show off and be that player that we've been expecting her to be. Did you have any thoughts about this game, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that, um, you know, again, the Liberty I'm excited about. I really... 
I don't want to jump the gun too much. Um, obviously, I think this team is exponentially better than what they were last year, and, and I'm excited. Like, Benajelani is, like, leading the league in scoring, I think, right after Brianna Stewart. Again, super early. Um, what Sabrina Inescu brings to the table. You know, Liberty is going to be um, a fun team, um, obviously, just to see what they can do. I think they're going to have really high moments, and they're going to have really low moments. I mean, this is a franchise that – um, is still trying to kind of figure it out, even though they do have quite a bit of firepower and they're much better than what they were last year. Um, I think with the fever, um, I agree with you. It's nice to finally see McCowan getting some minutes. I still have a ton of question marks. Um, I'm not going to hit the panic button or um, be too concerned, but you know, I, I want to see if this franchise can um, kind of take that next step. And you know what I am excited about is to see Hatar, you know, uh, 6'10". I think she was activated to play this week. So um, definitely will be curious to see the impact she can have on the Fever roster in any way, shape, or form. But outside of that, just kind of waiting to kind of see, like, is this team going to continue down the trend of a lower, you know, bottom two team in the league, or are they going to be able to do something? Yeah, that's the question. Moving on to game eight, Connecticut's Sun moved to 2-0 and after an 86-78 win over the Phoenix Mercury. Brittany Griner falls out, and so did Heidemann. But again, the Sun looked like they've picked up where they left off last year. There was definitely some points uh, where, you know, Diane Taurasi did Diane Taurasi things, hit a couple uh, big threes to pull that game close. But then, you know, I, I saw the post-game press conference with Diane Taurasi, and I think she said it perfectly. Even at that point, it was pretty clear uh, that Connecticut was doing a great job of just playing downhill. And when you're at that point where, like, you know, the good teams, even if the opponent inches back into the game, you're able to extend that arm like you do to your little sibling where they their arms just aren't long enough to hit you and say, ha ha ha, sorry. Um, and I think that's what we saw from from the sun. The Mercury had a great showing going one and oh, now they're one and one. Obviously, this team, in my opinion, is looking much better um, just as far as how Skyler as far as how, you know, Brittany Griner and Diana Trossi, how all three of them are molding together. Um, and the addition of Kia Nurse is a, is a great play. I'm excited for this team. I think the Mercury have kind of been slept on in a lot of ways just with how, well, to say it, how bad they were early on in the bubble season before Brittany Griner left. Um, I'm excited to see where this team goes from here. I think, you know, if you look back at the Lynx when they lost to the Mercury and the Mercury losing to the Sun, these teams are veteran enough and smart enough, wise enough, have, you know, veteran leadership to say, it's one game, right. it's okay, let's move forward, this doesn't make or break our end goal, uh, and to continue with that, any final thoughts on this game? Just the biggest discrepancy was, you know, Connecticut Sun, they, they were just dominant on the glass, um, com completely out-rebounded Phoenix, and to me, that was the most glaring stat, uh, outnumber, out-rebounding re out Phoenix, 34 to 27, and and a big reason for that is, is John Cole Jones versus Brittany Griner. And Griner, you know, ended up playing, I think it was about 36 minutes, finished with four rebounds. And then on the flip side, JJ played about 33 minutes, finished with 13 rebounds. So I think, you know, when you're talking about possessions and two teams that are coached so well with veteran players at this point, um, you know, you give the Connecticut Sun an extra nine possessions you're digging yourself quite a hole there. So for me, this game really came down to extra possessions because of the rebounding numbers. Hey, I agree. That's been an ongoing issue for the Phoenix Mercury for a plethora of years. It's no question. Hey, we had uh, Jeff Metcap uh, from AZ Central uh, on the show when we spoke about the Mercury. 
And he said it. It's no question. You know, as as fans, as analysts, as people watching, we always are saying, Brittany Griner, your arms are so long. You're so tall. How are you not getting that rebound? That's just part of her game. She's not a rebounding machine. Um, and that's going to be an issue when she goes up against players like Sylvia Fowles, like John Quill Jones, who are those types of rebounding machines. Rachel, you know what we got to do now? We got three games going on tonight as we publish this episode on Tuesday. Lynx versus Liberty, Mystics versus Mercury, Aces versus Storm. Do you want me to go first? We're doing pick them. I'll go first. If, all right. Lynx versus Liberty. I got the Lynx getting their first win of the season and feeding the Liberty their first loss of the season. Who do you have? That's a tough one. Um, I my Actually, my gut says Lynx, but I just don't want to agree with you, so I'm going to go Liberty. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, Mystics versus Mercury. I'm going Mercury, but honestly, I think out of the three games tonight, this is going to be the closest. Call me crazy. Uh, I just think Coach T is too good of a coach to allow his team um, to be out of this one. I still think Mercury win, but I think it's going to be a close one. Who do you have? I think Mercury respond uh, from the other night, and I think they end up winning. Aces versus Storm. I'm going with Storm, and I, to put it simple, I just think that the Aces have problems that are going to take some time to fix, mm -hmm. and it's not just going to be solved overnight. What do you think? Whew, man, this is a tough one. And I'm thankful that I get to watch this matchup since I didn't get to watch it on Saturday. I'm going to say that the Aces respond, that they end up coming out. Asia Wilson plays phenomenal. Liz, Cam Liz Cambage is doing great things. I'm, I'm going to go Aces. All right. So just so everyone knows, we're keeping this on the up and up. <laughs> so far in Pick'em this season, I myself, Aria, am 6-2. and two. Rachel's 7-1. and one. If you remember correctly, last year, I had a huge, not a huge lead, like a five-game lead over Rachel going into the halfway point of the season, and then Rachel ends up beating me. It actually ended, Rachel. <laughs> you ended up beating me by two games last year, um, and it was on the last two games we picked differently, and you got them right and ended up beating me. And of course, so, you never even told me. I didn't even know this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think I'm supposed to jump in a pool with my clothes on at some point, so... That will happen. I'll, you know what? From Memorial Day, I'm going to the beach. I will run into the ocean with clothes on. Hold you to uh, it. The fans want it. <laughs> there we go. Real quick, I I posed the question to the fans. If anybody had any questions, they hit us up uh, on Twitter. And one real quick shout out to Elliot Marr, great guy, big fan of his work uh, with the USA basketball team. And he asked for an alphabetical question, and I'm gonna answer and just say I have no idea how to respond to that because it was like. How many alphabetical? It was over my head. Give respect to the person, but can't answer the question. I apologize. The second question was from Ali Oop on Twitter, not Ali Oop, Ali Oop on Twitter. Basically, the question was with the pandemic um, and all that's going around with that. Should W allow an extra roster spot or two given the situation? I don't know about that. It's, it's not a bad idea. I'd never thought about that until it was posed. But I think we keep talking about this issue. Um, would there be some confusion with the repeated and often used 144 that we're seeing everywhere these days? You know, like, would that kind of put a damper on it if it was now the 156 or the 168 for one season or two seasons? I don't know. Um, I like the idea, but I also think this happens every year, right? We always, the, the pandemic has maybe delayed people being able to check into training camp because they're coming from overseas. If you've been following the, the league long enough, you know this happens every single season. So, yeah, does it stink? Yeah, but I, I don't want to spoil too many things. We have a writer, uh, Jeff Maglicetti, who's actually working on an article about an idea that I guess the XFL did, which was basically a 
like a G League if you're an NBA fan, basically like a G League team. Well, uh, I'll tease it and just say it's a really interesting idea um, of basically a team um, of players that are pooled together that you can, you know, are constantly training with other players and with the coaching staff. They're not playing games, but you can then easily pick from that uh, that roster. I'll let Jeff break it down in his article that should be coming to you in the next week or so. Rachel, any final thoughts on opening weekend? Just excited, excited for a big week. I think we're going to learn a lot um, the coming days and and really get a better feel of kind of what we're working with so far, but happy to be back. Winsider is your one-stop shop for all your WNBA news and conversation. We can't do it without your help. Become a subscriber at patreon.com backslash Winsider for just a few dollars a month. You can help grow the game.